0: Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Feel the energy. Feel the vibe. Why is it? Why does it feel like 10 a.m. when it's 6 a.m. in the morning? There's a couple reasons. Mostly, I think, because it's a football Friday. That's why. you got to get fired up. There aren't the, the, we were just talking about this. There aren't that many of these. The football season, we anticipate it for 100 days into a countdown for BYU-Utah. And 100 days later, the whole thing's over. We got 12 games, and then you got uh, everybody has two bye weeks this week, and then this year, and then you got the weekend of the Commerce Championship games. 15 weeks of college football, and then the Bulls, and it's all over. So, and it's winter, and we're shoveling snow, and I'm depressed. Uh, All right, so soak up the football. Hey, let's start with a BYU quarterback. How about that? Zach Wilson. We talk a lot about BYU, USC, Can BYU, I think they're going to give up yards. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But are they going to be good defensively in the red zone and make USC kick field goals? Because if they do that and Wilson hits on a couple plays, then it's probably a close game in the second half and the pressure builds on SC. And how will a freshman quarterback handle the pressure? You let him throw long touchdown passes, the thing will get out of hand early. But make him kick field goals. Zach Wilson plays well. Look out. You, you get, you're in the game. You give yourself a chance. Here's Zach Wilson with the media
1: on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. How's practice been this week after uh, the big win? Yeah, it was a good, uh, good a week of practice so far. Um, just trying to get better. Take, take every win or loss the exact same way and just uh, apply what we can and try and get better for the week. What, what did you learn? <laughs> what, what are you guys trying to incorporate this week that maybe you learned last week? Yeah, I mean, offensively, we got to score more points, uh, keep more drives alive. Thought we uh, did well at times, stalled ourselves, and then, you know, had some had some dumb mistakes. But I think uh, that's just the focus of the week, trying to keep those drives alive. Didn't see a lot of scrambling from you um, at Tennessee. Was that design, or was that just what the defense, you, you didn't need to do that? Yeah, I mean, I really only scramble if I feel like I need to. Uh, you know, either no one's open or we get pressure on some. And um, those guys did, did well getting pressure, but um, the game plan was a little more quick game. So uh, we got those the balls out a little faster, and so um, kind of just scramble when, when the time comes to feel things.
2: Did you run the run pass option at Corner Canyon at all? Was
3: that
1: kind of no? We didn't do any of that at Corner Canyon, um, but we did. So so my senior year we did it, junior year, sophomore year we had. Um, I think it's I think it's honestly something that almost every program's got. So the fact that we didn't do it in high school is kind of crazy. Every program does a little bit of RPM.
4: How hard is that on a quarterback? That seems like a
1: split-second decision. Yeah, I mean, it's tough at times. Quick, quick decisions, and especially when the defense is switching it up and and trying to distract you from what's going on. But um, there's a lot of options if the defense is giving you stuff. What do you think of when you think of USC? Yeah, talented team, man. Uh, You know, shoot, just USC, that USC's always been, man. I mean, they've always been a super talented team that's – um, you know, whether they've had a bad year last year and, um, you know, struggling this year, or having a good year this this year, whatever it is, and you know, they're still the same USC that's got, got all those athletes, and so we can't take a team like that lightly, lightly and they're not going to take us lightly either. Um, so I'm just excited for us to go out here and compete with those guys. What have you seen from them defensively? Yeah, um, you know what? They're, they're not afraid just to line up and, and, and say, you know what, we're going to we're gonna put our guys on an island and, and let you try and beat us with that. And so... Um, you know, those guys fly around, some big, strong guys. And so, you know, they just, they got a lot of talent on their defense.
4: You've probably watched the tape, so what, what's your impressions of this Keaton, uh Slovis, the freshman quarterback mm-hmm. that came in? Pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's a good player. I haven't watched a ton just because when you watch film, I don't watch, I don't watch the offense, I don't watch their offense. So I haven't watched a ton of his stuff. I know he had a good game last game. So um, I know it's something our defense needs to prepare for. Mike had a huge game for you guys.
0: Obviously, um, what's the potential of that with 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 now him having such a big game? Did you feel that's going to open things up? Just having to account for him, Bushman.
1: Yeah, I was happy for him. I think he uh, he deserved it. He's been working his butt off, and I was really happy at a big game like that. And um, you know, sometimes that happens. And and you, know, you have a guy that, that really steps up to the challenge and does well and uh, he's got a lot of confidence in himself and I got confidence in him as a player. And, you know, whether it's just Micah and Bushman, I think, I think all of our receivers are a threat, everyone on the field and so, um, any of those guys can pop off at any time and be, and be a dominating threat like that. There's Zach Wilson
0: with the media on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Now, let's take a minute and listen to the
5: offensive coordinator, Jeff Grimes.
2: Do you have much history with USC throughout your coaching
0: career?
5: Um, Yeah, several times. Uh, When I coached at Arizona State, played them Uh three times. Um, That might have been it. But, yeah, a lot of respect for the program when I played them. Um, Always had really good personnel um, and and always played good aggressive defense, and this is no exception.
6: Their offense is obviously getting a lot of accolades. What do you see specifically from their defense?
5: Um, Very well coached. Um, They give you... They play with a lot of aggression. Uh, their coaches coach with aggression. You can tell by the way that they call. I mean, you're liable to get a, a cover zero blitz on first and 10 or or third and 15. It doesn't matter. Um, sorry, I can't talk to that thing right on my mustache. <laughs> give you a step here. Um, and and they play aggressively. They chase the football. They're um, they're an aggressive team and, and play with a lot of passion. And uh, got a lot of respect for the way they play didn't go
4: to the uh, Wildcat at all against Tennessee. What's the Wildcat? Or the
6: Jaron Hall taking
5: stands. Oh, when we so. play with Jaron, yeah.
6: <laughs> what do you call it?
5: Oh, We just call it Jaron playing quarterback, <laughs> yeah.
6: It, was that just the situation didn't dictate it, or uh, will we see that again down the road?
5: Yeah, I imagine you might see it again somewhere down the
6: road. How much fun is it as a line, offensive line guy, watching your boys push the, push the pile into the end zone to win the game? And I
5: thought it was. I thought it was a great moment, and I really, I was really as I watched the tape. There, were, you know, there were a lot of runs where we didn't make a lot of yards. There were a lot of two and three and four yard gains throughout the game that um, that I think were like body blows in a boxing match. You know, um, they just took their cumulative toll on the Tennessee defense, and I think by the end of the game, we kind of were able to wear them down. And, and they played hard. Their defense played really hard. They improved greatly from from week one to week two. And so I was impressed with the with the effort and, and physical play that their defense came out with, but also impressed with with uh with how we played physical and just just kept pounding, kept chopping wood and, and eventually uh you know the tree fell. How
6: would you assess
4: Zach's decision making in that
5: game? I would say like like a lot of other positions, you know, most of the time good and then there were a couple of times when he probably could have made a little better decision. And um, you know, sometimes that happens to a left guard in pass protection. Sometimes it happens to a running back when he's trying to decide which cut to make. Am I taking the A gap or the B gap? It's just much more noticeable when it's the quarterback. Is the RPO one
6: of those main decisions that he makes? To- yeah,
5: he makes decisions on um, on a lot of those RPOs. Yeah, and and some of them are. Um, some of them are pretty easy looks that he can make a decision before the ball is snapped. Some of them the defense makes it more complicated by disguising or showing a blitz late, but I think that's one of his strengths. He does a really good job making those decisions particularly in the RPO game
6: some of those plays that maybe don't get lauded, but like you had a couple of receivers that broke up interceptions. You know, you had guys peel black back to make an extra block to you know gain a few more yards. Some of those plays against Tennessee in a close game, I mean those those really kind of loom large even if they don't get the same level yeah. of attention.
5: Yeah, Aleva recovering that fumble um, on the errant snap exchange that we had. There were a lot of those little things like that, and um, You know, those, you never know which one of those is going to make the difference in a game, and and any one of them could have. But again, I think if you play with effort, then you have a lot of those at, at the end of the game.
0: There he is, the Grime Dog, BYU's offensive coordinator. All right, there's a little BYU football coming up. Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com. We're going to talk with him in a couple minutes, but coming up next, J.B. Long from the Pac-12 Networks. He'll be on the call for Utah-Idaho State, lives in L.A., calls Rams games, follows the Pac-12. We'll talk with him next. Stay with us.
6: Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ P.K. and J.B.
0: Long join us from the Pac-12 Networks. Calls games on the Pac-12 Networks, also does uh, L.A. Ram games. He's on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4 with a new line of service. Visit the local Sprint store near you. J.B., good morning.
2: Gentlemen, thank you for having me. Hope you're having a great week.
0: Uh, Well, we are. Uh, We'd be having a better week if the Utes were not playing a big Sky team, but we've just come to expect that, I guess, money games are just part of the deal. So, endure one every week, you'll be calling the game. Before we talk to you about the Pac-12 at large, is there anything unique, unusual about this game that catches your eye?
2: Um, honestly, I'm kind of with you and that the unique part of it is what's to come next and a trip to the Coliseum and what the youth have to prove there. And so I know that no one inside the facility can look at it this way, but we can. Yeah. It's a stepping stone to conference play, and I hope for Utah's sake that their key players, their starters, their ones, and some of their twos don't have to play into the fourth.
4: Yeah, that's about it. I mean, <laughs> keep them out of the fourth quarter. <laughs> I want to know, JB, when you were calling fencing and synchronized swimming, what did you say?
2: <laughs> um, so a little backstory there. I'm not quite sure where you're where you're pulling that from but there's all kinds of things on the
4: internet about us pac12.com um, I, I got it at pac12 I, I am
2: i am a uh i am a fencing uh quote-unquote expert <laughs> and that's mostly due to a lack of competition uh but when i decided that i wanted to um go to the olympics not as an athlete but as a broadcaster i tried to pick a sport that nobody else had really dipped their toe into and that was fencing for me Um, It worked out in that I was uh, slated to do the Rio Games in the summer of 2016, uh, but the Rams called about three weeks before the Olympics and offered me their opportunity. So, unfortunately, I had to back out on NBC Olympics uh, for that particular occasion. Never got to do synchronized swimming, but I've done a bunch of fencing.
4: Oh, you haven't done synchronized swimming?
2: I have not done synchronized swimming. Because, obviously, a lot of people
4: would dip their toe into that
2: that's that's well said and uh
4: no no word, it wasn't wait whoa I whoa,
2: whoa. whoa.
0: <laughs> JB do not encourage him okay you just you're in and out for a segment no. I got four hours of this five days a week come on now JB help me out here uh, yeah I'm all for one-off
2: puns especially if I don't have to deal with the consequences yeah, yeah. there you go okay um but yeah I, I never uh never got around to actually broadcasting synchronized when maybe someday
0: in college, I did volleyball and water polo on the radio. Volleyball was easy; water polo was a little more difficult. So,
2: water polo is pretty vicious. What yeah. a sport that is! <laughs> yeah,
0: big time. All right, so uh, you mentioned the Pac-12 going forward, and Utah having something to prove uh, against USC. And I think it's pretty clear USC coming up five and seven will have something to prove in that game. How much was what USC did to Stanford in the final three quarters when they, you know, were down a couple touchdowns and actually? come storming back and blow them out. Uh, How much do you think that was a one-off and people will adjust when they see the film? And how much has the sleeping giant been awakened? And look out, Pac-12 South, the beast is back.
2: You know, it's probably a little bit of that. I think if you take their first, I guess, six quarters, Fresno State and the first half of Stanford and kind of break them into a separate category and then just look at what they did beyond that, there's reason to believe they are roaring into the Pac-12 uh, schedule and, and maybe rightly contenders in the South. But I, I think it's more granular than that. I mean, I think it, it has more to do with the matchups uh, individually, collectively by position group, especially in the trenches. And I'm not sure, I'm not convinced that Stanford is everything in 2019 that they were in, in a previous era. You know, I'm not sure they're the Andrew Luck, Kevin Hogan, uh, Christian McCaffrey – Stanford cardinal we'll see i mean maybe when they get their quarterback back uh that puts things in order but now they're down a left tackle so that's going to make their life difficult uh, i just I, I think utah usc will ultimately come down to things far more specific to that matchup than you know anything big picture about where the trojans are at and obviously there's a lot going on in their big picture whether it's you know having a, a freshman quarterback win pac 12 player of the week in his debut or uh, Lynn Swan resigning as director of athletics, and a lot of the other things that are going on here in Los Angeles.
4: So you mentioned you do the Rams broadcast, also. So if I give you Slovis, Golf, or Rivers, who's the best quarterback in LA?
3: Uh
2: Jared Goff.
4: <laughs> Another Pac-12 Jared Goff.
2: Guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I think Slovis has a potentially brilliant future, but after one game worth of sample size, I'm not willing to put him. Uh, in the same conversation as a future Hall of Famer and uh, Jared, who's uh, the youngest quarterback to win the NFC and has gone to back-to-back Pro Bowls.
4: Yeah, you know what's funny about that? Because they said, and I grew up in the Phoenix area, so I followed a little bit, and they say to the Slovis, well, he didn't play for a winning team, and so, you know, wasn't supposed to be uh, all that, and he goes out in that first game, and I don't even know that he could have looked better. I mean, I guess in theory he could have. And then you have Jared Goff, as far as, I remember, I think his first year as a starter, they were 1-11 at Cal. And then he obviously... And that
2: win, wasn't against, and that win was against an SCS program,
4: as okay. I recall. Yeah. So my point is, and we've seen this throughout, uh, guys from high school with all these stars don't make it, and then we've seen college guys with all these credentials don't make it into pros. So it's just so difficult to pick and figure out who's going to be good when they make that next step. I don't want to go crazy about the Slovis, but man, he really looked good in game one.
2: Well, I think the dynamic that you're speaking to is probably the adage that the quarterback gets way too much credit when things are going well and way too much blame when they aren't. I mean, they are just one of 22 position pieces plus special teams. And I think Huntley is right now a fantastic example of that for the Utes because He's doing his part. He's taking what defenses are giving him. Uh, he's not putting the ball in jeopardy. I think he's only got eight incompletions, and more than half of those are drops or throwaways. So, you know, is he right now your front runner for Pac-12 player of the year? Probably not. Is, is he a first-team all-conference quarterback? I'm not even sure he's there. But what he is is a great operator of yet another offensive system and a true distributor of the football with plenty of weapons around him and a team that plays complimentary style and might be the cleanest, most disciplined in the conference. And that'll win. That'll win week to week, and that might win you a championship.
0: J.B. Long joining us, Pac-12 Networks. He'll be on the call for Idaho State and Utah. Uh, Utah has had a lot of problems with Washington. Washington just had to settle for a lot of field goals and ended up helping get them beat right at the end by Cal. Uh, is Washington all that, or, or are they like Stanford? Hey, we, we've got this impression from one era, and college eras change fast by nature. The kids aren't there that long.
2: Well, I'll tell you, my answer is definitely different this week than it would have been last week because I I thought Easton was, against Eastern Washington, the real deal, and and might have actually been an upgrade um, year-to-year at quarterback, which is really saying something. Now, Cal's defense is for real. I mean, I I think they are legitimately a top-ten college football defense, and what Wilcox has done there in parts of three seasons is truly incredible. But Utah's defense is in that category too, and so I think Utah is capable of doing – to Washington what Cal did and I know for a fact that Utah is more capable offensively than the Cal Golden Bears are so is that still one of the looming games that stands between Utah and where they want to be where they want to go to the Rose Bowl and the college football playoff potentially absolutely Uh, that's definitely going to be one of their more trying tests but I don't think it's insurmountable even away from Salt Lake City.
4: So we've been talking about utah and obviously they were the overwhelming favorite to win the south a slight favorite to win the conference and there's been some playoff talk and people are a little hesitant some of them are my line of thinking is it's september and we should be talking about the utes as a playoff team and it's not specifically directed at utah my larger point is if they are a favorite to win the conference in the Pac-12, then that automatically should put them in the playoff discussion. Because if it doesn't, then the Pac-12 has serious issues.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you make a lot of fair points there. Uh, Going on the road and winning in Provo to start, I think, uh, is one plank in kind of the platform that they're building. And certainly BYU going to SEC country and winning there, Uh, helps validate that victory as a a marquee non-conference win. Now, we'll see where BYU goes from here, including this weekend. Um, But tough, though it may be, to root for a bitter rival, you definitely want BYU to have a good season. Uh, And that's true of the Pac-12 in general. Uh, But to your your overarching point, which is if a team wins the Pac-12, should they be in the playoff conversation? Absolutely, especially when that includes a nine-game conference schedule and a championship game and I think Utah is well positioned to navigate that. Their, their schedule breaks their way. Uh, already having one of those road games behind them uh, and only four in league ahead of them is advantageous and let's face it, they've got the right pieces, the right players in the right roles the coaching staff that has proven success in the postseason Like who, who else would you point to besides Whittingham and Utah who has been as steady a postseason presence over the last decade plus than Utah, right? Like Put them up against Alabama. Put them up against the SEC. Put them up against the Big Ten champion. They'll do just fine. They've proven that even as they've ramped up the Pac-12 level football.
0: See, I'm at the other end of the spectrum. I picked the U's, I think the Utes are really good. I picked them to go 10-2. and two, uh, But even if they go 11-1, and one, I figure a one-loss Pac-12 team is going to get squeezed out, so... You know, wake me up when they're 6-0 and lots of other conferences or several other conferences already have a one-loss team and might have a two-loss team, and then I'll talk seriously about it. But until then, it just seems like too big a reach. Nope, he's horrified, PK. Possibly even disgusted. (laughs) He just hung up. I'm not dealing with this! Click. I think he's still miffed about
4: dipping his toe in the synchronized swimming. (laughs)
0: if i had said that you would have just lit me up like a christmas tree when you said that that was honestly the first thing that went through my mind like synchronized swimming you soccer people are so soft
4: uh, well no he brought up dipping his toe in the fencing and i saw synchronized swimming and it just it was, i know I, I get all it that. was too good
0: i get all that but i know if i'd done it the beating i would have been up for <laughs> It's like everything everything till 10 a.m
4: Reset it and ask the question again.
0: Jb Long with us, Pac-12 Networks. Jb, I kind of look at the whole playoff argument differently because I think the Utes are good. I picked them to go 10 and 2, but I think that 11 and 1 Pac-12 team is probably going to get squeezed out. So because I think the conference does have major perception problems, whether they're real or not, they got major perception problems. And and the playoff is a beauty pageant. They got to pick four teams. So I don't really want to talk about the playoffs unless they get if they're if they're halfway through the season they're six or seven and 0 or something and we see other Power 5 leagues where you know the top teams already have a loss, then, I, then I'd consider it, but until then I think it's a bridge too far. How, what do you think when you hear that?
2: I, I understand the skepticism and uh, I was offended by the synchronized swimming thing, so I just decided <laughs> to have a delayed reaction. Sorry, I was hearing you guys perfectly. I'm not sure what happened on my end. But okay. um, all that to say like we're both right in that in a sport where every game is supposed to matter and every week is supposed to matter it's not too soon to start looking for that end game. But you're also right to say, why are we even having this conversation until Utah gets past USC, until Utah gets past Washington, and a bunch of other things across the landscape, until Georgia beats Notre Dame and we don't have to worry about an undefeated Notre Dame stealing somebody's spot. A bunch of other factors, sure. Um, but, But I think that where Utah is right now at 11, to your point about it being a beauty pageant, like... Kyle Whittingham won't say this, but style points do matter. Like, make sure that you're not in the second-half game with Idaho State. Uh, Win convincingly. Take some momentum into conference play. And and I think even as a one-loss team, just to counter one point that you said, as long as it's the right loss and as long as they have a chance to avenge that loss at Levi Stadium and win a Pac-12 championship there, I think that version of a one-loss Utah would warrant serious playoff contention.
4: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't see how it can't. But granted, I, I mean, I grew up a, a Sun Devil graduate, and I'm a Pac-10 now, 12 homer. I fully admit that. But I'm wondering if the rest of the co- the rest of the country will catch on that the strength of the conference isn't necessarily the dominant, overwhelming team or the same team year after year. It's way more about the opportunity to have some depth in this conference and to go to say colorado doesn't look like they're all that this year but with a senior quarterback and a phenomenal receiver they might be able to beach on a saturday whereas you look at some of these other conferences and these teams at the bottom they're not going to be able to beat you i'm just wondering if that could ever get through or just we're just knocking our heads against the wall on this
2: well, and some of it is, is out of our hands and out of Utah's hands, right? Like if Arizona State uh, doesn't show up in East Lansing or if Arizona, you know, can't take down Texas Tech and very few resume opportunities remaining, Stanford and USC both playing Notre Dame, then, it, then maybe it is all moot and there's nothing that Utah can do shy of going undefeated that will punch their ticket to the dance. Uh, I just think, you know, and, and maybe this is just my personal narrative or buying into uh, a local narrative, like having this coordinator back, this offense back to come full circle from Utah's previous undefeated season, uh, knowing who they beat, where they beat them to wrap up that last unbeaten campaign. Uh, I don't know. I'm just I'm hopeful for the symmetry there and the bookend that that might make for a special story that takes Utah and the Pac-12 back into the conversation for national championships.
0: JB, we appreciate a little time. Thanks for uh, talking uh, Pac-12 and synchronized swimming with us. I
2: appreciate it. Sorry for the uh, technical difficulty midstream there, but uh, thanks for hanging with me.
0: There's JB Long from the Pac-12 Network. When we come back, Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Are the Trojans for real? There's a question a lot of people are asking. We'll see if we can get an answer from Ryan next DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We're joined now, once again, by Ryan Abraham, USCfootball.com. He's on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for ninety nine ninety nine. Visit the local Sprint store near you.
3: Ryan, good morning. Good morning. Getting ready for some uh, big college football this weekend. Yes.
0: Yes. And uh, PK knows this from doing the show. You know, I just psychoanalyze everybody and their moods and why people are the way they are. I just can't help thinking about it. And as I was watching that USC game, knowing we were going to have you on, as I watched USC play better and better and go from being in danger of being blown out by Stanford to blowing Stanford out and completely flipping that game, I thought, I wonder, was that like watching like a six-year-old kid eat like four bags of M&Ms and then run around on a sugar high? Is that what USC fans are like right
3: now? It's a sort of a mixed bag. There's a, because it's weird right now because there's a lot of USC fans that almost wanted uh, Stanford to win that game because they just want to see a change at the head coaching position with Clay Helton. But there's a you know I think the majority of the fans were extremely happy. It's a rival, you know, outside of UCLA and Notre Dame, Stanford's right up there. So to be able to to bounce back like that and and get the blowout win was big. But yeah, early on it looked like. Stanford was going to blow USC out. They're up 14-3, and they recovered a fumbled kickoff, and you know, USC was able to hold them to a field goal and then went on a 42-3 run after that. Yeah, but it was a pretty crazy situation to go from you know, everything was doom and gloom to holy cow, USC's killing them.
4: Yeah, it really is amazing. This might be the only time in history, and me as a former South Bay guy, I'm geeked about this, that SC is playing BYU and Utah in consecutive weeks. Since I have strong roots down there, I'm loving this. These, the Obviously this week and then next Friday. And so as we watch that game, all of us were just so amazed to see that young quarterback do what he did. And this week we've adopted Ken BYU and then next week Utah can they slow the Slove? What do you think of that? Pretty catchy, huh?
3: Yeah, I think that's uh, it's good. And you know, BYU's secondary looks like they've been good this year. It's am going It's interesting. This it'll be interesting to see how Keaton Slovis plays on the road. I think against a tougher secondary, uh, but also how much they use the running game because BYU has been you know giving up some some yards on the ground. So I, I think Graham Harrell, the offensive coordinator, has been uh, uh, you know willing to run the ball more than you know, in the different kind of offenses you see with the air raid, like a Mike Leach type of offense, if they feel like there's a better matchup there or if they're going to let their true freshman kind of sling it all over the field. But yeah, he's it was, he couldn't have much of a better start for his very first start as a true freshman. It was the best one in USC history as far as, you know, freshman debuts. But I think, you know, for, for BYU and Utah, you want to beat USC, you're going to have to slow. He can slow us down somehow. And uh, we'll, we'll see. It's only, you know, he only has one start, but it looked pretty good than what we saw
0: so was this we had Norm Chow on and you know he's kind of wired in but he's not there every day or anything but he still texts with people and talks with people and he said he was surprised the quarterback battle went on for so long and I think that was generally viewed and in Norm's tone I think it was viewed as man how come a guy with experience can't lock this down in retrospect were the coaches seeing something out of the freshman thinking, we don't really want to play the freshman, but, man, look at him in practice. Maybe we ought to. Was that what was going on yeah. in August?
3: I think there's a little bit of that, yeah. I mean, we talked to Graham Harrell, and he was definitely singing the praises of Keaton Slovis. But it, the weird thing is, guys, when we would see you know football in the spring, football in the fall, it looked different for all the quarterbacks. I mean, just having this better offensive system in place – was a big deal and and a guy like keaton slovis could come in You would think oh he's got a red shirt there's three guys with experience in front of him um but he was competing and uh he was putting in a position where everyone was sort of starting on the same page because it was a new system but it was all it was easy for all of them They you know we'd they'd we'd have scrimmages you'd see all four of those guys get in there and all four of them throw for high percentages so i think it definitely helped uh that, that this new system sort of put them on more of a level playing field but he was playing above that three-star ranking he had coming out of high school.
4: So do you think this AD situation works to distract or galvanize the team?
3: That's a good question. Um, there's, there, you saw some of the tweets from a couple of the football players. Didn't seem to be all that upset that Lin Swan, uh was gone. Uh, I, I think it sort of hyper-focuses uh, just focuses things for, for Clay Helton especially. Because Lynn Swan is the guy that had, uh, you know, Clay Helton's back, and you know, it, there's going to be more uncertainty now. And I think the focus on just, hey, you got to win games, is is even more so now. He's um, not going to have someone in his corner uh, like Lynn Swan, and I think he knows there's going to be a lot of pressure. It it might be like, oh, you have eight and four, eight and four season, it's pretty good. That's not good enough, or even a nine and three season, or some people have said even like a 10-2 and two season where you don't make the playoffs. Like, I think now it's about, hey, man, all bets are off. We have no idea what's going to happen if they bring in a new athletic director. They might have the full intention of getting a new head coach no matter what. We just have to kind of put our nose to the grindstone and win games. So I think it might, I don't know about being a distraction, but I think it's going to you know, focus this team more on, hey, we just have to win now because the future is uncertain. I'm curious
0: with all the talk about the first six games. Of course, it laid to, you know, they could be 2-4 and and Helton could be gone by midseason. Well, now the 2-0, and at what point do these guys just start thinking, we are awesome, look at us shred the early part of the schedule. I mean, do they need another win? Do they need a second conference win? I don't know if you can get inside the the brain of 20- and 21-year-olds, but at what point did these guys start believing, and that alone takes them to another level?
3: Yeah, I think they started believing like when they were down early uh, against Stanford and were able to come back. Last year's team would have never come back from that point. So I think it gave them confidence. I think the defense has more confidence knowing that the offense is going to come out there and and score points, where I think last year the defense maybe got a little bit bit of a bad rap. But they were put in a lot of bad situations. There's a lot of 14-point leads early in the game that USC blew. I mean, they lost four games last year where they had double-digit leads. So I think... It's sort of you know when the offense would kind of just shut down and not be able to do anything. It really was demoralizing for the team. Now that you know the offense can go out and score points, I think it helps all units and they all they all feel better. Like oh you know even if we get down, we can come back and score some points. So I think that's that confidence h- has helped. But to me, uh, I mean these next two games are key. Um, I mean the Utah game especially because it's you know probably for the the you know the Pac-12 South winner will come out of the winner of that game most likely. So if you know they can start off four and zero. I mean that's a way different than what I thought the season was going to go. Um, I think that would give them a lot of, of confidence. But you know the the two road games, Washington and Notre Dame, are sort of up for grabs. But I think the the Utah game is really important just because it's for you know likely for the division. And if they can win the division, at least it's a step in the right direction.
4: I can't say that I'm. Extremely surprised, but I may maybe mildly or a little surprised on how well they've been able to run the ball so far. It's only been two games, but I I thought that you know, given the fact that they threw the ball for 377 yards against Stanford, I thought the running game was good enough. What is your evaluation of it?
3: Yeah, you know, I think this is an offensive line over the last couple years that that, you know that underperformed uh, compared to the talent that they had, and it just didn't seem like it was a cohesive unit. Uh, with Tim Drevno, the new offensive line coach who moved over from running backs, and he was the old offensive line coach at USC. He was sort of out of position uh, last year. I think it's helped quite a bit, and I think their strength and conditioning program changes in the offseason helped too. I think it's a tougher group of guys. I don't think that the line is as deep uh, or as talented maybe as the last couple of years, but they're playing at a much higher level, and, and I think Tim Drevno, you know, talked about that in practice this week. Uh, they, you know, that they'd know that that was the question mark. You know, a lot of people say, hey, what's the question mark on the team? You say the offensive line. But I think that the line is playing better, and I think the scheme it's helping them more where they're getting the ball out faster so pass protection isn't as hard. Uh, you really don't have to hold your blocks all that much. But I, that still doesn't equate to, hey, you can get some push when you need to to pick up short yardage situations in the run game. And they were doing that pretty well. So, like you said, it's only two games in but they look a lot better in that aspect of the game than we saw the last couple of years.
0: You know, it's early in the season, so there's still going to be surprises as far as what teams can and can't do. But historically at BYU, they've been pretty good against the run. There have been games where the secondary's been exploited, you know, if you go big picture. But watching that USC game, I was stunned at how good the running game was, and I couldn't really make up my mind if they were better power run right between the tackles which helped them finish drives and get him in the end zone. But when they did run outside, they, like, caved in the whole side of Stanford's line a couple of times. I mean, there's this guy running all by himself down the sideline there's nobody around him. USC, better power run game or better getting guys outside into space because they got
3: athletes and let them run? I think I'm going to go with the latter. I think that you know you saw, like, Stephen Carr run around the edge for a 25-yard touchdown. And, uh, I mean, even in the, the passing game, the quarterbacks are taught to – you know, swinging out there if the first couple of reads aren't there, if you can put, you know, you put it out in the flat to a guy like Stephen Carr of Avai Malpeai, they can make guys miss. And Carr, like Carr, in the first game, uh, he had a couple of touchdowns against Fresno State. He was making like two guys miss on every play. So I think getting those guys in space is what they're probably best at right now. I think they'd like to get better uh, at some of the power stuff inside, and I, you know, they they might be. We just haven't. I don't think the sample size is big enough yet, but All we right. know the kind of athletes they have. If you get them outside in some space, they're going to have uh, success. So we'll see. I think that the inside game is still much of a work in progress, but they've, they, they've, just, they've shown when they get like Stephen Carr outside there, he can make guys miss and, and find his way into the end zone.
4: I'm trying to figure out the psychological advantage, disadvantage from the BYU perspective as far as SC coming in. Now that they've won two in a row and they're ranked, it seems like, as you've noticed and have uh, told us, that there's a lot more positivity surrounding the program, and all of a sudden the arrow is pointing extremely high. you got Utah next week, and you've already acknowledged it very well could be first game of the conference season for the Utes, second for SC, but it could determine who wins the South. So I'm trying to figure out... How does that work in BYU's advantage or disadvantage to have SC? Because maybe if they had lost a game, uh, they wouldn't be a sky high, and they might be looking towards uh, Utah next week. But now that they're 2-0 and and everything's pointing positively, i got to believe that they're at the top of the game. So I can't really figure out any psychological advantage or disadvantage for the Cougars.
3: Yeah, I think um, – I mean – for BYU fans, are like, USC could certainly be, you know, take this game a little lighter than they should, you know. And I think, um, you know, they were really excited uh, in the locker room. We were in the, you know, in the, the post-game media room and the locker rooms next to it, like through cement Walls. And, man, it was pounding. They were, they were really excited about what was going on there. And I think Clay Hilton addressed that this week. It's like, this could be a trap. You have to make sure that you put that behind you uh, if it was a close Stanford game, maybe they would you know be a little more focused on. it's hard to say, but I think there's a potential there for these kids that felt like they were so sky high, they know they got Utah coming up next week that they overlooked this one a little bit, which I think would be obviously a huge mistake. I mean, you saw you know BYU go on the road and get a big win uh, in Knoxville. Uh, that, the schedule for BYU the month of September is absolutely brutal, as you know. Um, but if you looked early in the season, for BYU, which game do you have the best chance to win? You probably circle the 5-7 and seven USC team that you get to play at home. So I think this is a game that uh, BYU is probably very focused on, and there's potential for some of the play- at least some of the players at USC to be looking ahead to Utah. So I think there could be a bit of a psychological uh, you know, advantage there, uh, especially with you know, BYU coming off that huge road win and being able to play in front of their home crowd.
0: We've been doing this a while, and there was a coach who didn't win very much at BYU and got fired, Gary Croton. But he told us both things about football that were so true that it panned out. I mean, I I can still hear him 15 years ago saying, watch young quarterbacks in the NFL, watch young quarterbacks in college football. They're good until they get in the red zone, and then they're bad. The throwing windows are small. They throw the ball. Even if they make the right throw, if they make it half a beat late, that window closes, and it gets batted down or it gets picked off. And he told me that, and I can't tell you how many times I've been watching a game, and I've seen that come true, and I think of him saying that and think he was spot on. In the red zone, if BYU kind of plays the bend but don't break, drops eight guys, keeps everything in front of them so they don't get out-athleted in some one-on-one matchup, which I think is a pretty likely strategy for them, how much do you trust USC to execute in a close game in the red zone on the road?
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good point because Stanford played a lot of uh, man-to-man and USC could kind of flood uh, the entire secondary with their, I mean, they have really good wide receivers and they were able to win a lot of those matchups. And I think it wasn't that hard for Keaton Slovis because it was, you know, first or second read. He wasn't taking a lot of time and he was finding one of the guys open and, and delivering the ball. But if there's more guys back in coverage. I think there's certainly uh, you know, more opportunity for your young freshman quarterback to kind of hesitate and then miss that window that you guys were talking about. That's not really the way Stanford played, That I think it's going to be a better BYU secondary in general, and I think he's going to see some different coverages than what we saw against Stanford, who likes to kind of play you straight up, athlete for athlete, and USC just had way better athletes this time around. So that's something I think you definitely want to watch if, if you know, I think he's gonna get his yards, you know, I think they're gonna move the ball. But if you can lock it down in the red zone and you force field goals instead of touchdowns, I mean that's a way you can win games. So I I like what the coach said. I think that's something you certainly want to watch for. This is his first road experience in college and uh you know, you can you can only do that once so it, it might be a good time to get on top of uh Keaton Slovis and, and make sure that he's able to make the right reads and throw into tighter windows than he would like to.
4: So when does the talk of JT Daniels transferring start?
3: <laughs> it has. I mean, it, it did. soon as like Slovis threw his first touchdown. Ball was in out. the air. I'm in the transfer portal. <laughs> I'm out. I mean, it's, it's like, it's so crazy now. I mean, USC just had one of their wide receivers who had one yeah. catch in the Stanford game, yeah. Devin Williams, enter the transfer portal. A I lot of people that. felt like he's got all this talent. You right. know, it's, it's just different now.
4: Yeah, my thought is that a quarterback is either a three-year starter or he's a grad transfer starter.
3: Yeah, I think it's a good point. I think there's similar aspects, too. I think this happened at Georgia, right, with uh, Fromm and uh, Eason, yeah. Jacob Eason. And yeah. one guy starts his whole freshman year, and yeah. then the next guy you know, he gets right. hurt. He's exactly it's the, the same. It's definitely, you know, but I think there'll be jokes where it's like, oh, that guy threw an incompletion. He's going to enter the transfer <laughs> portal tomorrow. You know, it's like it's just kind of overreaction to everything that happened. <laughs>
0: So speaking of overreactions, USC is a dumpster fire. Clay Hilton's going to get fired. They're going to be 2-4 and after six games. There's that end of the spectrum. At the other end of the spectrum, well, they had five receivers who were going to the NFL. If they just find themselves a good quarterback, you know they're going to be on their way. SC's going to the playoff. When you hear those two things, what do you say?
3: Well, after Fresno State, I was thinking the former, and then after Stanford, it's closer to the latter. I mean, I predicted this team would go seven and five, but it's it's feeling more of a nine and three, ten and two kind of season. Now they they still have a lot of warts. There's still a lot of problems from last year that haven't been erased by bringing in, you know, Graham Harrell and a few other assistant coaches. So I, I and I think Stanford can be. We like to call it a false positive sometimes, where you look really good against Stanford. It doesn't mean. You're going to be really good the rest of the year. It's just a unique kind of squad, so I'm just going to reserve judgment for the next couple of games. But if, if you know if they're able to go four and zero, I mean, I, I think everyone on their schedule is beatable, and they got a shot at making a run. But I think it's more likely to kind of split those games, or you know, end up you know three and three after your first you know your your first six, and then you're you're probably in the middle of the road range again. But I. I don't know, guys. I mean, this is just one of those things where I didn't think they would look as good as they did against Stanford. Now I'm kind of like taking a step back on, all right, well, they, they, they have the roster, but they just haven't been able to put it together the last couple of years. So the roster's there. The talent is there. If they can actually play up to that level of uh, you know talent production, it, it could be a, a really good run for USC.
4: This isn't your area, but real quick, uh, how much of a disaster is it over in Westwood?
3: Oh, my God. Like I was such an advocate for people would say don't hire chip kelly he's going to be terrible like no he's going to be amazing and i think i was wrong <laughs> he was he is definitely a lot more like the 49ers chip kelly than the UCLA chip kelly and i didn't think that was going to be the case it's just like they're not recruiting well the offense looks bad i mean it's just they're playing a lot of young players but they brought 17 starters back from last year and a o and five start is almost likely at this point, uh, and that's what they did last year, so I don't know. I mean, maybe he turns things around. It's, it's almost like you're treating these games as preseason games so much, but uh, it's – guys, it just doesn't seem like it's, it's going – it's certainly not going the way I thought, and uh, I never thought I'd say this, but they might be firing him after his second year, which is baffling to me.
0: Well, having grown up rooting for San Diego teams, and, you know, I tear up at the mention of Don Coriel. Uh, I didn't mind seeing that. You know, the 23rd yeah. time was the charm. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> Ryan, pretty, yeah. I yeah mean, th- thanks for a few minutes. Yeah, right. Ryan, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. And if you don't mind, we'll bother you again next week. That sounds good. Thanks, guys. There's Ryan Abraham from USCfootball.com. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines, Thursday night football, baseball pennant races. Stay with us.